0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, where we take a look at movies off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I am your host. Joined, as ever, by my co-host, Andrew... Good evening, how are you? Good evening, my friend, I am well. And joining us this episode is Kyle. Sir, would you like to introduce yourself very briefly?
1: Absolutely. I am Kyle. I am a up-and-coming cinematographer, and I am also a huge film fanatic. <laughs>
0: awesome. Awesome. So, this week we are tackling Brian De Palma's 1981 thriller, Blowout. Blowout was um, conceived after Dress to Kill. Uh, Brian De Palma was considering a bunch of different projects, including something called Act of Venge- Vengeance, which became a HBO movie. Uh, Flashdance, which he did not direct, and a script of his own entitled Personal Effects, which was basically Blowout, um, but set in Canada. Blowout deals with a audio engineer who works for uh, a schlocky movie company, B-Movie Horror, who, while out recording natural sound effects... Um, records, audioly, a car accident that leads to a murder conspiracy uh, involving a politician. John Travolta is the protagonist, and he portrays Jack Terry. Nancy Allen portrays Sally Bedina, a woman involved in the car accident-slash-murder. John Lithgow is the Liberty Bell killer. And Dennis Franz portrays uh, the character of Sally's accomplice um, in blackmailing uh, people that will be uncovered throughout the course of the film, which we will discuss later on. The movie was written to be set in and was shot in Philadelphia, which is Brian De Palma's hometown, with a $9 million budget. Another $9 million was... Put aside to market the film. It opened up on July 24th 1981. To very high critical acclaim. But not so much. Uh, audiences going out to see the movie. And the film only grossed 13.8 million in the box office. The cinematographer on the film was Vilmos Zsigmond. I'm probably butchering that name. The editor was Paul Hirsch. The composer was Pino Donaggio. And reshoots were handled by Laszlo Kovakis, um because Vilmos was unable to um, participate in the reshoots because he was working on a different project. And um, the reshoots were necessary because several reels of the movie were, were stolen from the editing place where the movie was being put together in post-production. And this movie very much is a movie for film makers who are also film lovers. And I think that's why it didn't catch on so much with the mainstream audience. But we'll get into that when um, discussing the movie so let me uh open up the conversation to um uh initial um uh responses to a blowout and uh Bri- i guess brian de palma in general or uh, specifically early brian de palma you start off. Okay. yeah so um first off i love this
1: movie <laughs> i love everything about this movie this um even from the very beginning of this movie they got uh this uh, speedometer moving, you know, to start it off with. Um, So, uh, this movie uh, has a lot of similarities to uh, uh, Blow Up uh, as far as uh, Uh, the the feel to this movie. It's very Hitchcockian. And, um, you know, it's hard to not say this is a John Travolta movie, because everything this guy plays in, it's very it just has that john like he just steals the show in this and um i got to say he's probably uh this is this is probably one of his best roles as far as acting um i love his other work with um uh, in flash dance and everything but um,
2: <clears throat> he's not in flash dance uh, Not
1: flash uh, saturday night fever uh, no 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 staying alive staying alive uh yeah no no I was thinking of staying alive when he uh he plays this uh character that's dancer. yeah it's he's a dancer uh, trying to make it in um uh, uh, to become On Broadway yeah Broadway dancer yep um but yeah this this movie has uh very very much a uh, it just it reminds it's so Hitchcockian and so uh, um like uh. Uh, it, it's got like a Halloween vibe-ish to it too. Like uh, in the beginning, I love movies that have to deal with like movies inside of movies. You know, I I really thought this movie was gonna be bad in the beginning because um, I saw like you know it shows like the very cheap, low budget '70s feel, and then um, yeah, it just had that really uh, <laughs> low budget feel to it in the beginning. But um, yeah, no, this, this movie actually inspired me to. Uh, want to actually get more into film because I had no idea uh, sound editing was so important until I saw this um, yeah like uh, it, it, it definitely but like you just said it, it definitely has an appeal to more people who are into actual film
2: so so let me let me riff on this like the whole idea of him being a sound editor is is interesting especially since uh, in blow up, Antonio's blow-up from 1966. It's a it's a photographer. So it's a cameraman, who's who's zooming in on. What 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 really the real the real hook for me in it is that this this person is going out into nature to in both cases in both movies to either photograph nature or to record the audio of nature the wind blowing through the trees. I mean, these moments uh, in the movie, in both movies, are are particularly um, engrossing and like really reel really you in. But then what comes out of that, what comes out of that, going like almost a return to nature, turns into the most twisted little tale and mystery that starts unfolding. That's recorded on the device that was initially used to go out into nature. So, so it, it's, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real mind. I'm just going to say it. It's a real mind fuck. Like, like they, they, you know, in each, each character, John Travolta, John Travolta's character is very much at peace in that moment where he's recording everything out there in the night, you know, out in the trees. Uh, And then it, it actually turns into his worst nightmare that he becomes completely enfolded in by the end of the movie. He's um he is very much worse for the wear, uh and he's he's nothing's changed about his life. He's still doing the same thing, um but now he has this this traumatic event that happened to him
0: that he he can't really even share with anybody anymore. No, um yeah. uh, let's just backtrack and quickly do. I didn't do a very good job of uh, plot synopsis. So uh, John Travolta, uh, the film opens. And we're we're showing a killer's point of view in what is ostensibly a B-80s horror slasher. We're treated to one of many long um, and elaborate tracking shots, which uh, Brian De Palma is pretty much the master of choreographing all these different camera moves to match up with where the actors are going to be. It's just amazing. But then we're given... um, one of the few brief um moments of uh, levity and humor in the movie is um the killer uh, approaches a woman in the shower to stab her, a la psycho, and she lets out with a like ah it's so <laughs> uh, a very a pathetic, pathetic yeah. squeal and we cut to the director of the movie and John Travolta just laughing at how bad this is and uh yeah the guy's like I've heard all these sound effects before so John Travolta's like taking it like some inspiration and um we're uh we're given some split screen of uh some political news going on in the background about a politician named uh McRyan I believe his name is or Mac Ryan? McRyan McRyan his name is, um, who's, um, who's leading the polls, um, and is, um, pretty much like the, the newscast says that if, if the election was held tomorrow, that he would be the next president elect. Uh, so he's a a prominent up and coming politician and, um, John Travolta then is out recording nature. There's an owl hooting and, um, there's a couple that notice him on the bridge and he like he you know you, you, you're given like a little background to what he does. He's moving the microphone around to record different sounds. And then all of a sudden, a car uh, just goes off like he hears a loud bang. Well actually it's it turns out to be two loud bangs. It turns out to be a gunshot and the tire blowing out. and this car just careens off the bridge into the into the water. He jumps in, and after a couple attempts, finally is able to free the female inside of the car. But the male that is inside of the car has already passed away. Um, yeah. He takes her to the hospital, and it turns out that she's a, uh, how do we put this? A woman of the night, a female companion. Um, yeah. She's a prostitute. Uh, basically a, a prostitute. prostitute. Uh, basically. You know, she's a pretty low rent prostitute, too. Yeah. Kind of a. Yeah, for fl- sure kind of a flaky prostitute and this will uh, lead to one of my my only criticisms of the movie is I do not like the voice that Nancy Allen does in this movie God,
1: I was just gonna go on a rant about this cause you know what she has this very much annoying sound to her and I don't know if it's it was intentional but something about the way she acts in certain scenes too it's almost like she's not even real Like it, it has a feeling of like okay well this guy just saved your life clearly and maybe because she was subdued on the drugs that they gave her in the the first half of you know when she's waking up in bed or whatever but it's like how like how are you gonna act like that and like you just knew you know in the car with you just died I mean I was expecting more of a dramatic reaction I
2: think she was directed that way you think actually, yeah. I, love, I love her in this. She was my favorite thing about this movie. Really? <laughs> <laughs> we will discuss that more. We can okay. go into Nancy Allen. We can go into okay. Nancy Allen. Okay, um, But go ahead, Chris, with what you were doing.
0: Um, so, at, uh, at the hospital, John Travolta finds out that uh, the person in the car was uh, this up-and-coming politician. And um, it's uh, immediately apparent to him that... Uh, something's going on here. They're trying to kind of keep it very hush-hush, and um, they don't want any mention of the girl in the car, and they just want to say that it was an accident, and uh, this guy, I guess they're saying that he had a little too much to drink, and his tire blew out. Uh, but it turns out to be a conspiracy, um, uh, headed up by, uh, I don't think we're actually given, like, an answer to who exactly is in charge of the conspiracy, but... They had hired John Lithgow to just just take pictures. They wanted to um, kind of uh, frame and blackmail the, the, uh, the politician and get him off of uh, the ballots. Um, they didn't want to actually kill anyone. And uh, so what happens is that over the course of uh, his own personal investigation, uh, John Travolta puts together... Uh, his audio of the accident where he, you know, he can hear the gunshot and then the blowout and uh, pictures that were taken by uh, Dennis Franz's character and he wraps this whole conspiracy of was not an accident, this was intentional and that it was actually a homicide. Uh, any anyone want to talk about the the, the plot anymore, or we should we get into some of the uh, the technical stuff or performances? Uh, so,
2: okay. So is John Lithgow blowing out the tire on by his own accord? He took it upon himself to actually murder.
0: Yes, he did. In
2: the car, and have them have an accident yes uh that was his own I mean, he's not following, he's not following instruction for a hired assassin by the government no he's certainly not following instruction
0: it 's all revealed through that phone call. the gentleman on the other line that uh, at the end says we hire. we we hired you to take some pictures John Lithgow goes into this speech about how this was his plan and the, the guys like yeah we heard your plan we we shut your plan down we didn't want to do that we decided to go with this other plan of just blackmail and john Lithgow basically says well i i exceeded my own authority and decided that this is this is what needed to be done that's
2: crazy yeah that's a crazy plot device yes. i'm sorry <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're a lone person hiring someone, you know, that you don't know the score, but when you're in the government network, you're not, you know, even if you're going rogue, like, you, that's, you're just, yeesh, as hiring a total psycho to do your dirty work. Okay, alright, I just want to point that out. As brilliantly played by John Lithgow.
0: Who is, um... um...
1: His, his performances are always good, I, I love it.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, collaborated with, uh, De Palma, uh, uh several times.
1: So, I, 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 guess kinda, call him kinda rabish guy? Uh, Dennis Franz's character, yeah. Which
0: guy is that? Dennis Franz? Yes, yes. Uh, 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 Dennis,
1: yep, uh, Dennis Franz, Dennis Franz, yep. Is that the guy um, who was, who is basically... He's the guy in the dirty old, um, he's got, like, a, a, a wife beater. It's got, like, yeah, kind of, like, a rod on it. Yeah, got
2: he he caught it on camera while John Travolta was catching it on
1: on set. Yes yes and okay uh, um he gives other work too much too much of his work before but um i got to say he gives a a very good performance as far as uh um being very uh dirty and and not a not likable character in the sense of like making you feel like wow this guy is just a damn scumbag <laughs> like um. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the characters, I gotta admit, he's. Uh, I think one of my most hated characters.
2: <laughs> I liked. Okay. So. So. So I'm sorry to bash that plot device earlier. Um. I have. I have issues. I think with the the conceptual base foundation of this movie, and we can we can talk about that more. Uh, but but I do want to get into Just kind of like the whole sleaze factor Of this flick uh, The it, I remember seeing it I remember seeing it for the first time in the 1980s When I was in high school and I had a really tricked out uh, entertainment system with, That was hooked up to my Ankyo stereo So I that's when I saw this movie for the first time And I think the last time Until just, you know, last night uh, And So I was blown away I was blown away very much by the cinema by the filmmaking aspect of it. It is really kind of a tour de force of Brian De Palma. I feel like in a lot of ways, with that in mind, that he's also just kind of flexing his muscles a lot. He's definitely at the forefront of movie making at this time, uh, during this time, late 70s, early 80s. When did he do Scarface, Kyle? it was, uh, in was
1: 1970. Let me do, let me just double
0: check. Yeah, Scarface was after this. It was 80, uh, 83
1: or 84. 83 No you're actually, you're actually
2: Wow
1: Yeah. I done yet. Wow. The movie has a 70's vibe to it That's why I always think it's from the 70's But yeah it's
2: 83 it does. it does and you know what It's It, it uses Philadelphia Beautifully I <clears throat> went to college Like one or two years after I saw this movie And I went to college in Philadelphia I went to Temple University And I remembered when I got there my only real understanding of Philadelphia was from this movie, uh, because it really utilized a lot of the locations very, very well in that city, all over the place.
1: And the movie was filmed, uh, not, I know we're talking about another but Yeah, Starface is another one that, uh, I always forget that every time they film a movie, you don't know where the locations really are. I really thought this was in Florida. You thought what was in uh, Florida? Uh, Scarface. You thought Scarface was in Florida? Where is Scarface? Is it, it exactly. like in Cuba? It was actually filmed in uh California. Most Where is it. it supposed to take
0: place? Miami. Uh, Florida.
1: <laughs> oh, so it
2: Okay, well Miami, yeah, Florida. I mean, yeah. you know, you can make California yeah. quite. No, Florida. they did a good job though with it, like I gotta say. Like Well, blah, 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 blah. you know, is that, that cinematographer for Blow for Blowout um yep. has worked with De Palma a lot. I take it? Did you say that earlier,
0: Chris? Yes, he's worked... He's the guy with the weird name. Yeah. Uh, right,
1: Vilmos okay. Zizgmond. Ziskim- uh, Vilmos Zizgmond, yes. Okay. He, he did a, a movie I did see, but I just very much remember it. Macabre and Miss Miller. He did a. He was a cinematographer for that one. McCabe, I think it's McCabe like, and Miss Miller. Miss Miller, it's, yes. With Justin and Hoffman Mr. and Julie really Crispy. With um, Justin, Justin Hoffman and Julie Christie. Um, well, Shelley Duvall's in it. Um, I remember. Um, I forgot the other. Who? What's
2: who What's? Oh man, we're going. We're going off on a tangent. Yeah. Let's. Um. Let's, okay. We'll get into that another time. Let's. Let's yes. talk about. Let's talk about blowouts. So. Well, um. I'm trying to think where I was going with this, but. But. Okay. So basically. My my thing is like I feel like De Palma was kind of flexing his muscles and, and making um, a movie that was you know very romantic but at the same time quirky and funny and a mystery intrigue uh, just really, really you know trying to create this huge um, buffet of a movie and and uh, I think I th- I think he did a good job but I. I kind of feel this way about Body Double as well. That it, that it's kind of like we're just seeing De Palma, De Palma, De Palma, De Palma, De Palma doing his stuff uh, with his like twenty-minute sequences. So I don't know. That, I just, I just, I'm just throwing that
1: out there. Go ahead, you guys. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Brian De Palma. I mean, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. Uh, uh, you, you said it was Body Double. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I haven't seen um, some.
0: So uh, So yeah, one no, of the things y-
1: yeah
0: continue one of the themes that uh De Palma uh, frequently uses especially in his earlier work is uh voyeurism and uh voyeurism is um used in this movie uh as well as his movies um Sisters dressed to kill and Body Body Double all feature voyeurism to a certain extent um And this movie is very, as mentioned earlier, um, very reminiscent of uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's blow-up. It's also very similar to Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. And um, it also evokes um, some typical government conspiracies Such as the JFK assassination, uh, the Watergate scandal, and uh, the Chappaquidna incident. In which one of the the Kennedys um, uh, lost a girl off his boat somehow. (laughs) Um, And it also um, harkens kind of... And they mention it actually in the movie that um, it's very similar to the Zapruder film of the JFK assassination except that uh Travolta's got the audio only and um I, I one of the cops makes a very interesting uh a comment he says to Travolta so you're an ear witness to a murder which uh it's a, oh, wow. a pretty yeah. pretty uh interesting line of dialogue and uh so it's very it's interesting that De Palma is very much Taking aspects of Hitchcock and also of of uh, also of Italian giallo films, uh, which are uh, horror movies from, Please, but 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 feature very um, colorful and very explicit uh, acts of violence in it. Um, most notably. Uh, Dario Argento is, is kind of the godfather of Italian giallo films. Um, and it, it's very apparent that De Palma was influenced by those, um, especially with, in this particular movie, killings uh, that John Lithgow executes uh, later on in the movie when he, he thinks he's killing Nancy Allen's character, but uh, he ends up inadvertently killing the wrong uh woman a couple times actually but those those murder sequences with uh like the the gloved hand with the the knife raised or the ice pick raised are very reminiscent of dario argento and uh de palma uh very often uh pays homage to hitchcock uh in in his movies and he does so here uh uh, especially in the opening scene, which uh, is basically an eighty schlock version of the shower scene in Psycho. Psycho.
1: Well,
2: yeah, I, I, I was. I was. Hold on. I just want to say, like Kyle, like rem, you just recently saw
1: Vertigo with Jimmy Stewart. Yes, yeah, so I was just gonna actually add to that. Um, the movie uh, below actually, like, like I, I saw an interview before. Um, earlier today, actually, uh, he was. Uh, Brian De Palma actually said it. Um, I believe it was the Dick Cavett show. He was talking about, like, how much he, all of his career, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, just in terms of writing, um, uh, he loves the way he builds suspense, and he knows how to, like, bring out the um, the, the characters as far as, um, you know, um, you like, leaving you in complete awe. Like, throughout, throughout Blowout, you know, there's scenes like, you know, when the scene when they show... Like there's a tracking device going like you don't you like okay there's a camera on and it shows like he's being recorded um in his apartment um you know scenes just scenes like that alone it, it's it's very much like a um, uh well going back to vertigo like uh it, it leaves you like all right what's what's gonna happen you know what's gonna happen next like the woman who's near the um the edge of the uh the lake she tries to commit suicide it it you don't you don't really know what's gonna happen. In other words, um, in this movie, it, it really keeps you like, all right, is he being stalked? Is like who's behind this? Like, it, the movie keeps you very much um, thinking throughout. That's what I love about um, uh, Brian De Palma because you know he he's actually very interested in uh, Hitchcock's work. Being placed into a voyeur
2: position, I mean, you're yeah. you're already doing that when you're watching the movie. Yeah. And then when you know, and then when the movie itself um, says, "Okay, now you are a voyeur," and you know, a voyeur, there's there is a taboo element to being a voyeur. You're not really supposed. You're you're watching something. If you're watching a person or people, they're acting as if they're uh, not being watched, that they're actually in private. So you know, there's this element of the invasive element that the movie now puts the viewer into. So you're you're you know you're kind of choosing to be on this illicit little ride when when you're watching a film that does that to you. So yeah, Hitchcock did it really 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 well and De Palma is is taking on, you know, that task by doing it as well. And Anton- Antonioni did it brilliantly with Blow Up. Uh, very similar. Yeah, I, that was yeah, I there were moments in Blow Up and in Blow Out where I was
1: like I I don't I, I don't I shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It makes you feel like, like you wanna you wanna compare the two a lot and like like me I, I always I'm the type of person alright like what what movie was better in, in terms of like story, camera work, because like, I because there are movies that still stack up, you know, that are from an older generation that like like for me, like um the older um uh, uh the older Scarface um howard hawks is like a good example like um you know it's an older movie but you know sometimes writing and story and you know uh it it does beat like newer movies later on i mean um sometimes depends on who it is like some some movies are well
2: school i always prefer the the older stuff chris will tell you that and i think we've talked about this so you yeah yeah you should i'm i'm always going to be going for the the older stuff, the throwback. But I wanted to, in terms of horror, yeah. real quick. I wanted to point out Vertigo to you, Kyle, because we were talking about it, and I know you've seen Vertigo recently. Yeah. But De Palma, De Palma, uses the same device in Blowout in terms of the lead character having a huge guilt complex about something that happened earlier in his in his career in his life. And with Jimmy Stewart, I believe in Vertigo, he loses. Um, his his partner on the job through his vertigo. I think I think he falls to his death. Am I
0: right? You are very at correct. Yes. You know no. At oh, the big. No. It's at the beginning.
2: He's carrying that around. I think he's carrying that around with him. So John Travolta. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. So, so John Travolta was basically because of his, you know, not completely thought through wiring of that guy undercover cop in in blowout uh that we flash back to who ends up dying you know being killed uh because of you know indirectly because of john travolta you know so he's carrying that around with him and he quit the he quit the force he quit working on the beat and is now working for basically softcore porn doing sound so so he went from like wiring undercover cops to doing sound for you know softcore
0: porn but we're basically but this but this gives uh Travolta's character Jack Terry th- this gives his character good motivation for wanting to solve this murder because i i think that if Travolta if we hadn't gotten the scene of where the failed uh wiring of the undercover cop that led to the the mafia hanging you know it, we're given a reason to why he wants to kind of right this wrong from his past which gives his character motivation because i, I think in lesser hands with a, this, a similar premise but not such a intelligent director and writer uh, there wouldn't be that that motivation for sol- wanting to solve this murder i think that de palma handles it so well um and it shows his obsession with um wanting to solve this murder putting you know literally cutting out photographs to make like a flip book and then kind of animate the the uh the crash and then adding his audio we 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 know why he wants so badly to be believed and to do the right thing in this situation because he has that guilt so i i think that works very well in the movie's uh in the in the strength department of the movie I think what loses a lot of the a, a lot of audience members are the scenes of like the technical aspects of making a movie I I, I think a lot of mainstream audiences don't really care about uh, um, to use a, a cliche phrase I don't care how the sausage is made I just like the sausage and this movie is half Half sausage and half how the sausage is made, and I think that's why um, a mainstream audience didn't really flock to it. But I think that's why it's getting—it has the recognition that it does as a as a as a cult classic um, because certain members of the audience do want to see how the sausage is made, and they do like these scenes of of uh, Travolta marking the tape where it needs to be cut and spliced and those scenes to me i think the Palma does a great job of filming them they're shot they're shot great and i find them interesting but i can understand why another audience member or, or half the audience with me would hey, wouldn't hey, care would
1: find it. yeah yeah like um that's a good example too cuz um you know, people today in general like you know uh, movies today are just fast paced. They're are no more like really down to sit for a, like a story. Like if you go to any movie theater, you know, people just feel like they're just there to pay for a seat to sit down for two hours. Um, so yeah, uh, blowout. As far as if you're a singer, you know, you could definitely appreciate what the Palma has done with um, you know in terms of uh, visuals and and pacing and good. Uh, character development, storytelling, and all that. I mean, it, it is great because we get to see we get to see Travolta's, um, which I consider his best performance um, out of all of his movies. Um, also, I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, Tarantino actually uh, this was one of the movies that really made him decide uh, that he wanted him to play his his character in Pulp Fiction. Really? Yeah. This was uh, the movie that basically. Uh, got Quentin Tarantino be like, you know what? Let me give this guy another shot. And you know, this was during the time when Travolta's days were kind of like he wasn't getting much work. He wasn't getting he was too
0: much he was doing talking oh, baby movies. Yeah, getting... yeah, yeah, he wasn't really. No, he wasn't
1: doing that in eighty one. That was later. Um, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't really getting. No, no, I
0: am talking about in the in the to. in the early nineties. Travolta's career was on the decline. And he was doing the Look Who's Talking movies. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, and uh, he just, um, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, from what Quentin was saying, was saying that, you know, uh, uh, like a lot of directors, they didn't want to give him too many work. They couldn't, because they, they just saw him as the guy from, the Grease guy, you know, the dancer, the, they thought that era was just done and he was, uh, but, you know, it, it's so amazing that Quentin sought out this movie and, tell, like, this is, he can really, he, I feel like Travolta is actually one of the top, one of my, well, to me, he's one of my favorite actors, but, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely up there as far as one of the greatest actors, he has a natural, what? uh, Oh, no, he's not one of the greatest One of them, to me, I mean, he's, I mean, this performance, I gotta say, this one, I, I feel like, what's that called when you're, uh, um, there's a name for it, it's a type of, a tour, a tour de force. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way, but, um, I mean, of course, there's always the Neuros, there's always the Al Pacino's or whatever, or, you know, there's always some big better, uh, there's always gonna be great actors, I don't know, I just think he's, to me, he's, he's one of my favorite actors, but, (laughs) um, but he's a Scientologist, you can't trust him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's that movie, is it Battleship Earth? um i never oh wait are you talking about the one that's based on it's the battlefield earth scientology novel
0: battlefield earth okay i'm thinking of the game the test
2: game where you shoot the gyps battleship i think about <laughs> uh yeah kyle you've you've caught like i haven't i haven't had like critical stuff like over stuff to say about a movie until this one on the
1: podcast, so I apologize. Not, that I'm going to be doing? I no, apologize I love that everyone's opinion. Doing like even if, even if I like, I just like the insight. Like I've had people actually change my mind over the years of like because they i great points. You know, yeah. I'm not setting out to do that. No, I know. Um, no, I know. My, I just I love hearing any another person's point of view. Too. One so, of my yeah. one of my problems with Blowout, as I said when I originally saw it back
2: in the '80s, it it blew me away. The music had a lot to do with. It and the way De Palma sets up his sequences. I do like De Palma. I'm a big fan of Carrie. I love, I think that is like like a genius flick. Yeah, it really is. I mean, but um, certain times, like, I do think that, like, I feel like I'm reminded that I'm watching a movie. That's my deal. Like, I'm reminded that I'm watching a movie. Like, it's slipping into um, a very... All of a sudden, we're in a very romantic scene, and I hear the saxophone playing, and the, mute and the lighting has gotten really soft, and a lot of deten- attention and money is being spent uh, on this scene, and I'm I'm into it, but but I I I'm swept up I'm swept up in a almost intellectual way where I'm like okay I'm recognizing that all of a sudden um, I'm immersed in this. Uh, experience that's thats catering to my senses and I know I'm being kind of abstract by saying that but uh, he's such a good filmmaker that he he maybe we were talking about David Lynch and Dune and David Lynch in general working better when he has constraints on himself I would almost
0: venture to say that about Dapama um, oh no no I gotta disagree with you there okay go on okay I, I think it's a it's a tale of two De Palmas. I would say early De Palma is genius. Later De Palma is oh, the, it's just like this guy. It's like what happened. The latest <laughs> movie,
1: his movie was, uh, So, I what does blow out? is blowout?
2: Is blowout early De Palma?
0: Absolutely. Yes. I up until up until I would say up until the the late eighties, early nineties, um, but. Something's something. Touchables is really good. Touchables is excellent. That's 80s. I'm talking. I'm talking like after the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. His season.
1: He
2: he was actually put under way too much constraint when he did the one of the mission. Did he do the first?
0: Yes. He did the first Mission Impossible. Yeah. Another Scientologist. Under
2: too many constraints. Right. The Battle of the. Um, oh wow! <laughs> Mission Impossible.
0: <laughs> I actually, I actually enjoy the first Mission Impossible for what it is. Um, I think it's probably my, I would say it's the last really good De Palma movie that he's that he's come out with.
2: It was in many ways. It was in many ways taken away from De Palma. Pretty much by Tom Tom Cruise, who I think was fronting the money for it. But you know,
1: so, I, kind of, uh, uh, I for not that
2: either. <laughs> I haven't seen the the first. One of the ones I've seen, uh, I think. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like when yes. when does the Dapama? So getting back on track, though, when did Dapama turn into the second De Palma later
0: later half of his career? I would say Mission Impossible because okay, there you have it. Um, I uh, because I think if you show someone dressed to someone body double. If you show someone blowout, if you show someone's sisters, they're gonna know that it's a Brian De Palma movie. You show them the Mission Imp- You show them the first Mission Impossible movie that could have been directed by anyone. Right, right. He's lo- his. It doesn't, it doesn't
2: have any of those sequences. He's known for really setting up and storyboarding basically a twenty-minute sequence, and he'll do like two or three in a you know um and that's his stamp of you know this is mine that that's totally out of his mind and his imagination and that's where he's like hitchcock hitchcock i'm sure did the same thing too
0: absolutely and why uh, for whatever reason i think i think actually what what happened was uh i would say the downfall of the palma was the bonfire of the vanities
2: <laughs> oh, man. That was the downfall of of cinema.
1: <laughs> I actually saw a review on that, and yeah, that, it's a lot of people actually.
0: It has wet dog shit. It has an incredible. I don't
1: remember when that came out? It was a
2: notorious. It was a notorious flop immediately. So, immediately. I
0: I think we've ragged on what happened to De Palma enough. Let's 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 get back into blowout and the and and, and how his uh. His genius work. So a little thing about the... um, I'm going to agree with Kyle that this is one of Travolta's uh, best performances. Greatest work. Um, Oh, yeah. Nancy Allen gives a great performance, although I can't get over that voice. um, But I... I, I think that, uh, that That was definitely the way that she was directed So um, initially Al Pacino was Considered for the role of Jack Terry um, Oh wow De Palma decided to go with Travolta And Travolta Lobbied for Nancy Allen to get the part Of Sally and initially uh, De Palma didn't want to Cast her because they were married At the time and he didn't want it to see it As uh, nepotism
2: Both. That's Uh, interesting. They, they, they totally. Well, maybe they. Yeah, maybe he didn't want to be seen, seen in caps as you know, as as promoting nepotism. They were married.
0: Yes. They divorced in 1984. John Travolta and Nancy Allen No, De Palma. Oh. (laughs) De Palma Brian De Palma and Nancy Allen were
1: married So
2: I Did not know Did I know that Brian De Palma and Nancy Allen were married I don't think I knew that That's very interesting and that explains why she's in a lot of his movies Okay I get it Um, Well he did it He did it over and over again
0: He didn't He did want to be seen as using nepotism He blatantly Andrew Andrew, I have a question for you Question it Andrew uh, how many movies was of uh, uh, Brian De Palma movies was Nancy Allen in after their divorce? Zero. I'm Correct. <laughs> Correct.
1: Like Woody Allen. Like Woody Allen he actually played in uh, Carrie. Uh, uh, not Carrie. Uh, yeah, she did. What am I thinking? Of course she played in but, but she also played in uh, Robocop two, uh, 3. And was that the Palma directed? No, no, not at all. But oh, I, I I, com- I completely just recognized their face. Yeah, she, she was in that. Uh, she was, a, was, she was, was in, fact fact three, fact. she was in all three. She was in
0: all three Robocops. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Paul. Paul Verhoeven did.
2: That's, that's, that's a big fat paycheck.
0: Yeah, yeah. Paul Verhoeven did the first one. I'm not sure who did the uh, other two. I,
2: I want to talk about. Since we're talking about her, let me give my spiel. I really liked her in Blowout. I thought she was the heart of the movie. I bought her character. Yeah, there's she's she, she's got that but it was funny to me that accent. Like it just cracked me up. And I saw the layers going on with her character. She doesn't really want to deal she doesn't really want to deal with reality. And there are, there are female characters like that in Blow Up as well where they the killing the killing is brought to their, you know, brought to their consciousness and they can't really deal with it and so i saw that with her she just wants to talk about makeup you know uh you know but but then once she does start opening up it's a good it's a good character pretty well written once she starts opening up you see that she's you know there's more to her and that she actually understands that you know makeup in the end is superficial and what is she really trying to do with her life like there's a real person there The chemistry between her and John Travolta is is excellent, too, I thought. I thought it was really um,
1: real. I'm like, I bought it, you know? uh, I'm not trying to... I mean... Go ahead. I kind of disagree. I I think she was kind of lousy, like, as far as a person. And, like, for example, you know, John Travolta, you know, he seemed like the type who was trying to, like, really get her to, to get a drink in the movie or go out with a drink. It seemed like she was trying to, like... Push him away or something. Like I kind of got the feeling that she didn't really want anything to do with him in the movie, and I just thought the chemistry wasn't there with with her.
0: Uh, I got I got to disagree. I got to disagree with you and agree with Andrew. I thought they had excellent chemistry, and I think really? what you, you what you're referring to is initially she's paid off to disappear after the accident. Uh, he convinces her to stick around.
1: That's what it was. I, I think I wasn't understanding.
0: Yeah. She was paid off to disappear, and... She's
2: actually got a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go on.
0: I was just going to say, their their chemistry, you believe the relationship as it grows throughout the movie because their dialogue and the way they relate to one another, and he kind of brings her around to understanding, like... that this is important. We need to do the right thing here. And he convinces her that, you know, she needs to get the original, um, uh, photographs, the original film from her, uh, a- accomplice. And I think that he, his guilt, uh, starts to weigh on her and she develops her own guilt for all the blackmailing that they, you know, that she had made money on in the past. And I think that, um, if they didn't have chemistry, I believe the relationship. I thought they had uh, their their chemistry grew throughout the movie. They had good chemistry from when she was disorientated in the hospital, and then you know up until their final. They they, they don't even sleep together. They have a relationship, but they don't have sex. The most they get is I think they yeah, yeah. they kiss in the, they kissed once in the car. But um, I I I. That's right. I I gotta disagree with you, Kyle. I gotta go with Andrew on this. I thought they had great chemistry. I,
2: I start like wanting. To, I'm like, okay, you start rooting. All right, I start. I started rooting for the two of them. I was like, I want you two to, you know, win out in this movie, and they, you know, they don't in the end, which makes it tragic. You know, it make makes the movie tragic
1: at the end. And uh, what a what a, uh, a climax too of a uh, for for uh, the movie yeah, too. Yeah, I mean. Yeah,
2: I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on just that final sequence with yeah. the parade and fireworks and everything like that. That is, there's a, once again, a lot you know,
1: of... I give a good climax, though. Yeah. You know, that's Brian Like, Scarface, yeah. all of his movies have some type of, like, amazing ending, you know? Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But well, getting back to
2: Nancy Allen's character... In the novel, I'll drop it. Uh, there's, <laughs> keep in mind, there's a lot... There's a lot going on in her head um, that we don't know about for quite a while. So she's always working it out. She's actually the, the, the you know, the counterparts of Vanessa Redgrave and Blow Up. And Blow Up is played by Vanessa Redgrave, who's a very complicated actress. And you can tell yeah, there's makes, a lot. I, no,
1: that
2: yeah. makes sense now. now that you brought just, I mean, it. But De Palma decided to turn her character into basically like a, a dizzy blonde or a seemingly dizzy blonde. Blonde. Okay. Uh, so, which is an interesting twist. You know, but yeah, she's got a lot going on in her mind. She's thinking to herself, like, I gotta, she's got a lot of people breathing down her neck, probably. Like, I gotta get out of town. I
1: gotta, I can't talk about this. Um, I wasn't even supposed to be with him and now he's dead. It's so crazy how common collective she is. Like, for me, when I was watching it, I was just like, of course, I guess if you're in any type of business or whatever like that, but you, like, she just like really like almost. Like her emotions were just I'm not used to seeing uh, too many movies some but you know not all the time of characters like her I guess she was there besides blow up now that you put it from what you told me but you know um, it was just hard for me a little bit to kind of like see um, you know uh, I, I guess for me I thought she wasn't as believable as um, um, from Bo- but now that you guys put it that way I, I guess I could kind of see where you're if coming you, from if you're
2: not buying the accent then you probably aren't gonna, you know, bother with the rest. And that's what yeah. it is. So, yeah. That's. And I, I made a choice to buy the
1: accent, so I, I will say that much. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably what it was because I kept laughing. Sometimes I was like, oh god. <laughs>
0: she, she, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a stereotype, but I can't put my finger quite on like what stereotype it is. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. What is this called? It, it's yeah. like Judy Holliday or um, Melanie Griffith and Born Yesterday or Working Girl.
0: Or it almost sounds like Betty Boop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to
2: put it. <laughs> All right, let's let's. See.
1: It's very cartoony. It's very cartoony. <laughs> and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, it has this cartoony uh, sound to her. It made. You want you want you some want coffee? You want me to make you something yeah. to eat? <laughs> oh my god! Sometime <laughs> soon! <laughs> oh
0: my god! Your car went into the water! <laughs> <laughs> moving on, moving on. There's so many things to talk about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> let, me, let me let me talk about the opening sequence real quick. The opening sequence reminded me of certain scenes in John Carpenter's *The Eyes of Laura Mars*, starring Faye Dunaway. So I saw, I the opening sequence makes me think of John Carpenter. And didn't you say that too, Kyle? Um, it's very, re- very much Halloween.
0: It right is. I, it's uh, yeah. it's very reminiscent and, uh, of the original. Um,
2: voyeuristic. Once again, looking in
1: windows. it's it's very cool because you know that's why I love Brian De Palma you know he he learns from the greats going back to Hitchcock then then going to John Carpenter with the you know it just really shows his love for cinema just from looking at uh different angles of the movie and you know um it's it's really it's really cool how he how he does that in this movie and this movie in particular um but yeah like the opening sequence you got these eyes you know the, the feeling of stalking I mean it, it, it really did feel just like uh, um, yeah, just like the beginning of the, uh, the clown kid killing uh, his his uh, sister. Yep, yep.
2: And in and in Eyes of Laura Mars, there are there are sequences almost identical to. I've, never I've that. seen that. To be honest, it's good. You would like it, and it's 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 John Carpenter. Um, and it's. It's similar, actually. It's similar to blow up because he, it's wrote, about
1: he, he wrote the story. I don't think he didn't. I don't think he, he did. I think it's. Yeah.
2: An, I think he directed it as well.
1: I think. Okay. Let me look it up. Okay, I, I recognize the. Uh, but but just like
2: in just like in blow up, um, he the lead character. She is a photographer who does fashion, and she interjects violence. Oh wow! Tommy I mean, Lee Jones is in this. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Here, Irvin Kershner. He's the director. Okay. All right. So John Carpenter wrote it.
1: Yeah, he wrote it in. Uh, the, well, the then John I, Peters
2: produced it. You know, so I guess I guess he had it in the screenplay.
1: You know, to
2: be looking into windows while half-naked girls are dancing, women are dancing in the inside their apartments. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, the, there's there is a scene just like that. I think at the very beginning of the movie. That
1: that reminds me of the opening sequence of uh, Blowout. Yeah, lots of nudity in the beginning—that's for sure. <laughs> my Carry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Carry. That, you
0: know. Yeah. It, it, w- there's 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 lots of uh, the the Palma split screen going on, the um the split diopter lens, which is when um. A character is in the foreground very up close to the camera and uh the uh the the background it, it, it seems it seems proportionally off. Um I, I think that if you're going back and watching the movie, you know what shots I'm talking about. Um and then there's lots of the the, the palm yes. long and elaborate those those long tracking shots um that are just brilliant brilliantly choreographed and in the way that they're shot um the cinematographer commented that there wasn't a lot of diffusing, not a lot of flashing that it was pretty much shot straight there was a, it was mostly shot at night and mostly shot with natural light
1: no caught deeper I remember
0: <laughs> well for no, not in the long tracking shots, but in general, um the movie is is given a very realistic. Kind of uh, do- almost like a documentary feel to it, just with the the the, the cam- with the cameras that they were using, and the the natural um, lighting, just makes it a very interesting movie to to watch. And uh, De Palma also does something, I think it's called it's either called the one eighty rule or the three sixty rule. We are not supposed to you are not supposed to have your camera operate in a 180 or a 360 because it will disorientate your audience and there's an entire sequence in this movie where Travolta's going crazy in his little audio studio when he finds out all his tapes have been erased that it's just the camera spinning around and around and around um, if you were if you're sensitive I could see someone getting motion sickness from something like
1: that from that from that sequence yeah, that disoriented me. It reminded me kind of VR, the virtual reality head here. I used to play with those a little bit. But it definitely does. I can't keep your, your eyes. like Once you take it off for a while, it's like, oh,
0: shit. Yeah, that's what... I, I got
1: dizzy. You'll
0: see, that's why those kinds of camera shots are not utilized very often in movies because they will disorientate your audience, and that's not what you want to do. But De Palma, I, I think Andrew said it was... Uh, flexing, flexing some muscle here and showing like he wants to do whatever he wants to do. He he's making his own rules and and the studio backing this was a they were anticipating a huge blockbuster and uh, so this opened up in late July. So this was right in like um, summer blockbuster season and they were anticipating a huge hit, but. The audience just wasn't there. The critics, critics loved it. They it got great reviews, but like, I the audience that went to see it that first weekend, I don't think they were they were recommending it to uh, to their their friends or coworkers the next week, you know. Um, but I can so, see. So they put nine billion dollars of publicity
2: into this. Is that normal for a movie during that? time that's crazy that sounds extreme it was the same yeah i was gonna
1: say i mean even even with nine million dollars i mean look i've seen so many really bad movies like schlocky movies that were made for like 12 million 13 million so i can understand i mean he probably went all out with like probably set stuff or like uh maybe like closing down certain areas just to um you know to, to pay to buy out the the lot area or something like, it, he probably really used that budget for as much as he could. And even back then, that's I mean, cool.
2: Well, are you talking about to film it? Because I'm talking about... Yeah, to film it. Oh, publicity. Chris said, Chris said I, well, yeah, what, it costs $9 million to film and then another $9 million to publicize?
0: Correct. Mm. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that sounds... That sounds kind of... Well, I mean... Yeah, I well, how much money I is spent you know,
1: on marketing? Because, you know, this movie... Um, I mean, I wasn't born for it, so, I mean... I. I don't know if they really marketed it that well, but well, you know. you're gonna
2: see that you're gonna see nine million dollars of publicity. So it was on people's minds like they were on a daily basis. Uh, they were, you know, they were seeing billboards and bus stop posters and whatnot. And I'm sure the radio and TV and and all of that. I I'm. Sure sure it got hyped up a lot that's a lot of money for publicity so and you can tell it's an expensive movie like De De Palma Mm. is being given the reins Um, he said to her he was talking about the old days and he said we were kings to her she quoted that in an interview Uh, so he he
0: yeah 9 million was a that was probably the highest budget he had gotten (laughs)
2: his own thing and you know you expect that for something like the Terminator
0: Mm, yeah no not the first Terminator forget about it
2: I guess.
0: Uh, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, what would be like a really big saying. blockbuster? Yeah. I would say
1: that that's. Uh, I think
0: that movie would have like. <laughs> so the nine million was a high budget for De Palma, probably the highest that he had had since that point. Just going off the the, the little bit of knowledge that I have about marketing from the early eighties, I'm gonna say nine million was uh, was a pretty high number. Um, but like I said, they had a lot of faith in this movie. They had a lot of faith in this movie, and, and ter-
1: the Terminator. Oh no, the, ter- the Terminator had was actually a massive. I just looked it up. It's a eighty eighty million. So uh, okay, so that would have been more. I mean, along the lines,
2: along the lines of big blockbusters, you know, and publicizing a yeah. big blockbuster. My only point is that some it's uh, it's basically a. Uh, a Giallo mystery movie that uh, is being made, being promoted, and being sold as a huge blockbuster along the lines of something, let's say, the, like the Terminator franchise. So, so this is this is it's risky. You know, it's risky to do that. People, I don't know what people exactly were expecting when they went to see Blowout. But to see something that's heavily based on an Antonioni film, um, what, you know. It's not. It's not really mass public. You know. Oh,
0: uh, I just got to. Cor- I got to Ways.
2: I have. You know. Good. I.
0: I. We got to rewind. Um. I got to correct Kyle. The budget for the first Terminator movie was less than seven million dollars.
1: Uh, I just looked up. Were were talking about the first one. Yeah. i was talking about the first Terminator. It says here. Here, let me go back to it. Not, uh, it doesn't... It, I mean, right here. Oh, I'm sorry, now I'm at night. You know what, you're right. I, I looked at the box office. That was the box office. I'm, I, I really... The box office got 78.3
0: million. That's what it cost to make. 6.4 million. Let me see. Let me... It only cost 6.4 million. So, in comparison... So, in comparison, blowout cost much more money to make and did not fare nearly as well at the box office
2: so blowout in 1981 uh, is basically I mean I don't know what, what was considered a blockbuster by then because E.T. It, it, e. would have been in 1982 and that's when the whole Spielberg oh, yeah. blockbuster franchise dominated the 80s so, so this would still be before that. I mean, ja- yeah, Jaws was a huge blockbuster hit in nineteen seventy-five or seventy-six. But I am just trying to think what was what Blowout would have been up against, uh, and, and in my opinion, as much as as much as Blowout is a crowd-pleasing flick or it's geared to be one, um, the 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 inherent plot, the, the inherent concept of it uh, is is I think. Um, uh, I don't know. It doesn't deliver as many, um, as much as many punches as a, as an audience would want from a blockbuster. It's something you sit down with and just kind of. It's a good date movie if you're into an, uh, a mystery type of film. It's but taking a, mis- what guessing.
0: Like where is it going? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It also doesn't have a happy ending.
2: The ending is awful.
0: And I, uh, and I could see, I could see. Uh,
2: it's terrible. I don't. I didn't. I couldn't remember if she died or not, and she does. Yeah, it's the terrible. way. It's, and I think that's a downer. I think maybe that's why audiences might not have liked it in the end. They changed the ending of <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors a few years later based on that similar type of ending.
1: You know, it's a great twist like Alfred Hitchcock going back to that, but. Like you know, he keeps you guessing. Like he gets you know John Lithgow's character. He gets the wire, and you know his Sally's just like there. And then all of a sudden the train comes by, or a guy's down this uh, across him, and then he stops. You know, he really plays with your emotions because if you're invested into Sally, you just don't want her to die. And then you know, um, and she and dies, he, and then
2: he yeah. uses her scream yeah. for the movie.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, does that does that make it a snuff film?
1: No, I'm just. Oh no, 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 no! I mean, it, a snuff film. I mean, because I've seen some really graphic. You know, Say, like if you put a real
2: death scream, if you dub a real death scream into, you know, a movie.
0: I I think it's no, 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 no! It's far more egregious for poltergeists to use real skeletons than plastic ones.
2: they, yes. used, they used real skeletons and yeah.
0: Yeah. That's yes. In
2: love. That's that's yeah. turning that that's turning it into a ritual. Now you're watching something real. That's a ritual. <laughs> you're using like real dead. It that's was.
1: Crazy. It was cheaper. I, I, remember you know, I first... how they how do they do that? Because like, don't they gotta get permission? Don't they have to have some type of you know permission to use someone's bones? You would think. Yeah. You, maybe not. That's crazy. I don't know.
0: But a lawsuit and a half. Okay. <laughs> probably not. You
2: no, know, it's like where did <laughs> we, we? probably don't want to keep talking about.
0: No, this. Yeah. Let's... Uh,
2: It's like where did they get this? Where exactly did they get this albums? We don't need to know. Exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go ahead, cause okay.
1: yeah, yeah. So overall, uh, I loved, I still love the movie. Uh, I like John Travolta's performance. I like the. I love the story, even though it's you know it's a lot more slower p- pace than. Today's movies, I do love to sit down and enjoy the open-minded the movies going on. Um, it definitely, hopefully someone gets super inspired by this and makes something similar again, because I love this type of movie. The writing, the cinematography, uh, the movie has, has some great lighting, too. Uh, performances, um, you know, uh, from start to finish, it leaves you... It, it leaves you like feel like feeling like you watch the roller coaster, you know. Not many movies I can think of, even like these big budget movies today. I don't think they can even uh, come close to uh, Brian De Palma's uh, style and all that stuff. But so overall, I would give this movie a solid nine out of ten if I were to rate this. I, I, I love this movie, and I always go back to it every year. I always go back to it to check it out. Wow, how many times have you seen it? I would say. Because I did see this 2000, I believe it was 2015. And I would say maybe, I lost a little bit of count, but if I were to take a smart guess, maybe 25 times, 26 times. Wow. Yeah. That's like me and I have, um, a lot, Yeah, man. I actually, actually wow. had memory loss. So, like, there are... I always, <laughs> so you forget the movie? Not that I forget the movie, <laughs> it's just that there are some scenes where I'm just like, I'm just like uh, wait. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, I'll, I'll like I'll have to like retrack. You know, take a little yeah. Bit of- well, but that's studying it. You actually you you love it so much that you study it. Absolutely, I
2: I try my best. <laughs> okay, all right, right on. Um, I do want to I do want to mention. that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna piss on this movie <laughs> anymore because it is it is really well done. Like in terms of what Brian De Palma like. Beginning of vision to end of vision. He executed it. And you know how hard it is to film a sequence like that at the end with all those people. That's really that's really, really difficult. And he did it. He without it. I was complaining about the battle sequences in Dune uh last night, and just like um he integrated that parade sequence into the storyline, into the finale. Really well, especially with John Travolta running through that crowd. Um, he kept it going. You don't get distracted by the you know long shots of extras. You're still involved with the movie, you know, and what's and the climax of the movie. Um, I also wanted to mention you guys were talking about taking your time with the uh, in- intricacies of
1: his craft
2: when he's setting up the audio, uh,
1: the audio uh, machinery
2: and whatnot, the equipment. And those sequences, I, I like those too, and it's I enjoy sitting with those,
1: and everyone should kind of take a breath
2: and enjoy sitting with those as well, in my opinion. Yeah. And reminds you know, and he there is the split screen as well, and I feel like if I remember correctly, in Jackie Brown by Tarantino, he uses a split screen effect also when certain details, like almost minute details, are being uncovered. Uh, so that's that's. I think I'm. I think I'm getting this right. So I like the idea of a split screen, kind of going over clues and uncovering uh, little details that need to yeah. be put together to fill in the gaps as you move on to the next scene.
1: Yeah, I love. I love that. And there's one scene we didn't. Uh, we didn't cover that. I, I I have to mention before I forget. Uh, the chase sequence when he's in the car, and then he's like, he's like rushing to like get Sally, and he's like. You know, and then, uh, that has to be one of the most wildest chase sequences, so, uh, like, top ten material, like, you know, he's going through a parade, he's going through fucking windows and shit, and it's just, it's so crazy, because, like, that scene actually had my heart racing. I was like, oh, man, like, is he gonna get her? is he gonna, you know, every time I rewatch it, it feels like it's it's a fresh movie, like, even though I know what's gonna happen at the end, I still felt like this movie, uh, especially at the end, it really, really made me, like, want him to hurry up and get this fucking guy, you know, um, to take him down. But um But it's like he has no
2: idea where she is. He has no idea. Yeah, he's got he this
1: hearing he's got this hearing piece. He could hear it. But he just knows it's just a really difficult situation. You know
2: It's 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 wild. It's wild. The way that this movie and and blow up as well uses technology, um the way that it enters our lives then we become it changes our lives completely like so he is actually being tortured by this kidnapping and subsequent murder um of this girl that he really likes happening in his ear while he's trying to find them driving like a maniac he would have killed people by the way driving like that uh yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. but but you know uh, these I, i keep thinking in my head as the as the these movies go on, you know, the plot unfolds. I'm thinking to myself, well, if you just, you know, unplugged yourself from all this technology completely, you would actually probably have a very simple, pleasant, peaceful life, you know. But henceforth, like, and it's in, the, it, and it, it does have overtones of like the conversation with Gene Hackman, where uh, surveillance changes everything. It really, really does. Mm. So you, you, you become a voyeur, but you also become the one who's being watched, you know. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden everything there's nothing that's private anymore uh, it all becomes public so anyway um, those are just the overtones that I wanted to mention but yeah getting back to it like he's 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 at a loss he's not going to find them it's a miracle that he does find her but it actually it's too late when he does find them uh,
1: but I'm thinking yeah. yeah yeah but he he's uh it's so crazy it we didn't it never we him. didn't know that uh sally was dead and uprated because like you know he's he's the middle because he he's look he sees her him, him about to stab her and then he grabs her i mean his his arm and it begins to stab him but we still don't know at that moment if she was dead or not because it just shows him stabbing um you know the stabbing the, the murderer but we then that's why i think it's such good storytelling because then it's like oh shit it's so you must have saved it right? And then then you just see her laying there dead. And it's like, oh, you know, that, I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's very sad. It's yeah.
0: very sad. Hollywood has so many happy endings that I, I think a movie needs to end the way that Blowout yeah. ends. Uh, we need movies like, like that. are
1: out there. Like, like newer yeah. movies. There's there's a ton still out there, though. Like, like Hereditary had a pretty messed up ending. Even though that's considered supposed to, it's a horror movie. But you know, there's some other this. This got. I'm sure they're out there. You just gotta look. for
0: them. Oh yeah, there's plenty of bummer bummer endings. Doesn't.
1: Uh, yeah,
2: I like that. We should have we should have like a bummer ending
1: month for the podcast. Oh, the mist. The mist has to be. No, no, that that's um.
0: Shit. No, John Carpenter did the fog. Frank Darabont did the mist.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. You got, yeah. Got it. Thank you for clearing. No problem. Clearing that up.
0: So um so just anybody else have some final thoughts of the movie
1: good movie go see it uh, recommend it to anybody who's into Brian De Palma um, I wish I'd gotten to see it earlier but maybe it's better I saw it uh, later on because you know when I at the time I was watching Scarface just for the violence when I was a kid so I probably wouldn't even have enjoyed this movie so I'm glad I saw it you know around 18 17 years old around there Andrew uh, I, I mean you know
2: I'm, I'm glad to have have seen it again i was i was around the same age when i saw it for the first time 16 17 and i and it blew me away uh, right. i'm more cynical about it now uh and i and i wanted but it has made me interested in seeing some of his other films yeah like i will i want us to do phantom of the paradise
0: <laughs> it's on the list
2: come join us for that kyle that's a
0: crazy so i'm just gonna wrap up our episode here just a little fun fact The movie that Dennis Franz is watching in his sleazy hotel room is Murder a la Mode, which was one of De Palma's earlier movies. Uh, He initially had wanted to use Dementia 13, which was Francis Ford Coppola's directorial debut produced by Roger Corman. But surprise, surprise, Roger Corman wanted too much money for it to be licensed. So he went with Murder a la Mode, his own movie. I would say, as a huge um, De Palma fan, this is uh, this is in his top five best movies. Probably one of his most underrated movies. And for as much love as I have for this movie, I can see why it doesn't appear uh, appeal to um, a real mainstream audience for the reasons that we had uh, discussed. Once again, we're the home of movies off, under, and ahead of the radar. I would say that this movie was ahead of the radar. That's why it's not getting the appreciation that it deserves until uh, years after its release. But that's kind of what makes a cult movie a cult movie and we here at the cult film companion we love us some classic to Palmer. we love us some cult movies we love us some john travolta we thank you all for joining us for andrew our guest kyle uh, my name is chris and uh, we hope you enjoyed our visit with blowout join us again next week